Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. All I can remember next is being startled out of sleep by the sound of footsteps. I was sure it was Dad, so I just sat up and I listened for him. But the footsteps stopped. Then there was this cracking noise behind me. I turned around. And standing there was this hideous-looking man. He was so grotesque, he was almost inhuman. He had a knife. And he attacked me with it. I was so hysterical, I don't know how I was even able to think, but I kicked the knife out of his hands and I ran. Good evening and welcome to television. Hello. Hello. Hey there. Hi. Whoa. I'm Wayne Cellini and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Joining me today on this fearsome Friday, the one and only Kendall Richardson. Hello, everybody. Kendall, welcome back to Fred Watch and especially Fearsome Friday. Yes, thank you for (laughs) welcoming me back. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Well, always a pleasure to have you. And... We've got a franchise to continue on with. We do. Absolutely. So today we're reviewing the movie that gave us the iconic look of a man who you couldn't fight, you couldn't stop, and in 1982, you couldn't even keep him on the screen. Nope. (laughs) It's Steve Miner's Friday the 13th, Part 3. Please explain. The day after his near-death encounter with Ginny Field, Amy Steele in Friday the 13th, Part 2, A badly injured and unmasked Jason Voorhees, Richard Brooker, stalks Crystal Lake. Meanwhile, Chris Higgins, Dana Camille, and her friends travel to her old home in the area, called Higgins Haven, for a weekend getaway. During this time, she tells her boyfriend Rick, Paul Kratka, about an encounter she had there two years earlier with a deformed man, and that she has returned to Crystal Lake to face her fears and resolve her ongoing trauma. However... Chris is destined to reunite with her boogeyman as her friends begin disappearing, one by one. Friday the 13th Part 3 was a formidable contributor to the short-lived 3D gimmick resurgence in early 1980s Hollywood, and was lauded by its target audience, who once again ignored the critics. But Kendall, were you scared by the new dimension in terror that is Friday the 13th Part 3? <laughs> well... Not fully scared, <laughs> but there were definitely some some creepy moments, some creepy effects in this one. Mm-hmm. Got to say that this was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Part two let you down a little bit, didn't it? It did. Yeah. It did, because I'm such a fan of the first one. Yes. And then, yeah, number two was, uh, it had its moments, but overall definitely not as good. Mm. And and then you, my good sir, <laughs> made sure I had my expectations low going into this one. So I think that may have helped. Well, yes. Well, after our review of part two, I realized, okay, clearly... Kendall's going on a different trajectory to this (laughs) franchise than I am. I'm, you know, gushing over it. (laughs) Whereas Kendall probably doesn't have the um, same affection or um, nostalgia for it that I do. So it's like, well, yeah, you know what? Let's actually take them for what they are. So yes, set your expectations low. (laughs) Low. Yes. And just 
enjoy it. Yes. Um, I I found myself with having a smile on my face most of the movie. <laughs> right. Like I I really enjoyed it. Albeit I think the writing in a lot of places lets the film down mm-hmm. as a whole. Like I was struggling to put together why they were at Crystal Lake. It wasn't really threaded together succinctly okay. enough for me. I mean, you do get that glimpse of the the Higgins yeah. house thing at the start, and I didn't really, I didn't realize that was her, uh, Chris's last name. Yeah, I didn't put that together. Oh, okay. um, yeah, and then you know, I was like, you know, when she's talking about how there, she's she's back. What ha- what happened to her last mm. summer? All this stuff, and I'm like. Was she in the second one? I don't remember. <laughs> like she, she, she. There was no one else that survived that. Like yeah. So I was very yeah. yeah, very confused in the beginning. But apart from apart from that, and you know, certain choices by by some actors, and mostly mm. just mostly just the writing just right. really kind of irritated me in a little a little bit. I yeah, I, the, the kills were inventive. Mm. And they did um, make very good use of the 3D mm. concept. It, I, I can imagine the roar in the cinema yeah. as this would have been playing back in 1982. Would have yeah. been cool. Would have been very cool. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. I would, would love to see it in 3D. That'd be, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. So, Kendall, you alluded to, I guess, in terms of the story and, and Chris's place mm. in it. Mm-hmm. One of the main things that, that we've got here, I suppose, that does tie the narrative and is the motivation for Chris and her friends of being there to begin with yeah. is this encounter that she has with Jason two years earlier. So actually set before part two. Oh, okay. Right. okay. Right. Okay. So if we look at the continuity and we use the term loosely when we talk about the Friday the 13th films yeah. and we'll talk about Jason's look in a second yeah. <laughs> because that does not help continuity at all is that we've got the events of part one they happen then in crystal lake we know that jason is floating around right as an adult we don't really know how i mean there is a theory in part two as to how that is Mm -hmm. but we've got jason floating around he encounters chris Mm. and there's that flashback that we see yep he disappears and then he meets the folks from part two at some point probably Two, well, actually, it is two years later. Okay. So after that flashback, about two years later, he meets Ginny and all of those kids there. Right. The following day, Saturday the 14th, yeah. is when part three takes place. Wow. Yes. Okay. okay. Right. So they're on like the other side of Crystal Lake, this cabin. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. yeah. Because even part two, it's the lake was sort of shared mm. there. So I guess mm. it's quite a broad. Yeah, it uh, must be a, a big broad, lake. Yeah, yeah, quite a broad space. Yeah. So if you remember at the beginning when we've got, um, I think it's Ethel, her name is, watching TV. Mm. And there's that news reporter, which is a cameo by the director, Steve Miner. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, reporting about this grisly event. We see Ginny on the ambulance yeah, so that yeah. had just happened, happened right. that's right so that's kind of the, the little hint of of when it takes place yeah yeah so i mean i don't particularly know you know why that's a thing like why why they've made that choice yeah and yeah. why it's not like oh here's a, a boogeyman who's like one year later let's do this and sort of set it mm. more present mm. i'm not too sure i think one thing maybe is because it probably keeps to the mystery of Jason. So Mm. one thing that we'll find in this film, and I believe it doesn't happen in any other movie, is that Jason is never named. 
no one actually yeah, calls true. him Jason. So that's true. He's a myth. Yeah. In part two, mm-hmm. and these folks here are just stumbled across him. Yeah. So they've not really heard the legend, the stories, or anything like okay. that. That's cool. Because they're not from that area. They're traveling there for for the weekend. Mm. And yeah, he is just this random monster, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I do like that element that yeah. we sort of know a bit more than than they do. We have an idea. We're on his side, I guess, because hey, that's what you do for for <laughs> slashers. Yeah, you're always yeah. on the side of the bad guy. Yeah. Um, well, at the same time, you know, having favorites amongst amongst his victims and Definitely. and um, final girl or, or boy. Mm-hmm. So I found that quite interesting. Mm. In terms of the the continuity, this is where it, it can get quite confusing because right. Jason's look is different. Yeah. So, for example, they don't really try to keep the look of part two. And it was a really good, gruesome look. Like, I really liked yeah, it. Yeah, it was super yeah. effective. Yeah. I mean, we've got a different actor here. We've got British stuntman Richard Brooker playing Jason in this film. Mm-hmm. So the builds are going to be different. Right. Mind you, different by choice. Because Richard Brooker is actually quite a, a tall and slender person. He's wearing padding. Oh, really? So it is very much a creative and artistic choice yeah. to beef Jason up, okay. to, you know, to, to have him bald. His eyes are a bit closer aligned mm. this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, I've actually got a theory why he looks different here yeah. and why he will look different in every single film just about. Oh. Yeah, so... Yeah, I, you know, my theory being, and um, it's probably unfair to ask you why you think that is because I've got all of this prior knowledge, but it kind of really does begin here because okay. at least in part two, yes, he's older and, you know, we, we've got some flash forward and there's a lot of theories as to why he's, he's the age he is. But, I mean, at least you could see a similarity to how he was as a child in part one. You can, you can see that, that thread, mm. whereas here he is quite different. And I think it's perhaps to reiterate Jason as as a boogeyman. He is as mm. much of a figment of our own fears. Mm. So these interpretations are different as he encounters different people. I'm probably giving the team way too much credit and they just <laughs> wanted to have fun with everything. Um, but that's kind of how I look at it. Like no, I'm, cool. I'm kind of okay with, with Jason evolving a little bit because yeah. the, the, the core elements are always there anyway yeah very so true. i don't know i kind of i kind of like that idea that no, cool. uh, there's no real definitive look uh, when the mask is off mm. kind of adds to the mythos maybe i think so too yeah. i think so too and because again in part two there's that brilliant conversation that Ginny has with paul in the bar about mm. you know well, no he's probably not a legend he probably did actually survive and he's mm. being traumatized and he's scared and he hasn't really fully matured i think all of these things contribute like i really support Ginny's theory you know in the realms of this world because you have to accept quite a few un- unacceptable things but yeah. that's also the fun of thrillers of this nature especially in this era i think why well, i have a soft spot for 80s thrillers because they're so ridiculous and so yeah. fun, right? <laughs> yes. yes. But I think that all comes together pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of his look, he becomes iconic in this movie. He does. So, Kendall, mm. everyone wants to take credit <laughs> for giving Jason his mask. Yeah. Everyone who pretty much worked on this movie wants to take credit <laughs> oh, wow. for saying, no, it was my idea. It was my idea. Because a hockey mask specifically is not in the script. It's just as a mask, right? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So I, the, the standard... And accepted story is that a crew member working on the film 
played hockey or was a hockey fan and had a hockey mask and actually just put it on the actor while lighting and they decided to go with that. Oh, cool. And I think they liked the look of it but then had to make another mask to fit the actor's face better. Yeah. So, yeah, so kind of it developed um, organically, I suppose. Yeah, cool. But, you know, we all know Jason and his mask Mm. and I don't know exciting to see him get it it gets it in an interesting way i suppose yeah. really because you have to get it somehow yeah you, you can't just sort of source that in the middle of the woods no <laughs> yeah no, i always wondered how he, he came about the mask when i found out that he didn't just have it yeah like, so yeah what were your thoughts on, on his mask and how he how it came to be and how he got yeah. it yeah well because you know before uh seeing part two and part three i'd only ever seen part one mm-hmm. and i'd did partake in Freddy versus Jason back in the day. So I have seen him in the mask Mm. before, but seeing it on him for the first time, Mm. it looks great. And I think what adds to the effect of it and the impact of it is the fact that like up until that reveal in the film, he's, you know, the, the shots of him, it's up to, up to his shoulders. You don't see yeah. his face. You don't even see the back of his head. Yep. You see maybe silhouettes from a distance. But, you you know, the camera angles are done in a specific way to really, you know, mask him, if yeah, you will. absolutely. From, yeah. from the audience, which is beautifully done. And then just it's so it's when you actually see him standing full head to toe and the mask is on, mm. it's so striking. Yeah. And it's such a great visual. And especially the immediate kill he makes and the way he does it uh, with the mask on. So good, isn't it? <laughs> very, very good. I was very pleased. Yeah, it was great. So yeah. you, again, because you've seen Freddy versus Jason, and I think even anybody who has an awareness of popular culture, mm. even if they've never seen a Jason movie, mm. associate the hockey mask with him. Absolutely. So when you first saw Shelley with the mask, yeah. were you just like, this is it? This yeah. is how he gets it? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Away. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's good. That's yeah. clever. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, it yeah. was quite a cute nod. Especially because it's such, like, you know, it's a fake out. Like, Shelley spends, yes. you know, the movie being this, you know, practical joker mm. sort of guy trying to get the girls to like him and everyone to like him and stuff. Um, in interesting ways, but I props to him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my heart kind of went out to him a little yeah. bit. Yeah, but no, it was really cool to see, you know, the fact that you think it's Jason in the water mm. and then he comes out and he's got the mask yes. on. And then you realize it's not Jason, but you're like, oh, he's got the mask on. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Do you know what I actually really like about Shelley wearing the hockey mask? Mm. Is that he's wearing it while he's got the scuba diving yeah. gear. Like, the two don't go together. No. They don't make sense. No. But that also makes it scary. And Shelley knows that. Hmm. And I like it specifically because Jason himself, you know, he's got this jacket, he's got slacks, for example. They don't make sense with a mask either. No, no. But because we see Shelly, you know, wearing a mask with an outfit that doesn't go, yep. it, it kind of makes it acceptable. Almost you're just kind of like, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. And I think because they don't make sense, it makes it scarier as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got this, like, for example, if Jason was just standing there and his face in the shadows, there's nothing really scary about that because you go, okay, I don't know who that is, but Mm -hmm. there's nothing really intimidating about it. And then you see this mask and you can't see the eyes. (laughs) And there's something uncanny about that image. It works really well. It does. 
and Shelley sort of foreshadows that almost by having the scuba gear with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it kind of, you know, for him, for Shelley to put that kind of outfit together yeah. and mishmash of, of things just kind of screams of like someone who didn't plan this yes. has just put this together on the fly and decided to you know play this prank yeah absolutely. and then it's just again it's just jason using his base instincts to just be like okay mm. i need must hide my face yes which is interesting the fact that we don't see him with anything over his face but we do we is it assumed that he's got he's not covering his face uh, up until that up point until that, yes it is yeah which is interesting considering in part two he's covered he's covered yeah so i think it's one of those things where like one could argue why doesn't he just have the sack to yeah. begin with yeah that that's, he, that's what that i was wondering yeah. yeah but i think we also do have that element where Jason is conscious about his appearance because yeah. let's face it, he lives alone. Mm. Why would he bother with the sack? Yeah. True. And we see in part two that he does run around Camp Crystal Lake because he's foraging for food or whatever. Mm. He's stalking people. So I think when he's going out, so to speak out of that makeshift home that he has, yeah. that gorgeous set from mm. part two, mm-hmm. it's almost like he doesn't want anyone to see his face. Like he's aware okay. of how he looks and doesn't want to see his face. Yeah. And I think here in part three, because he's purposefully staying at a distance, hiding behind laundry, Mm -hmm. being more conscious about where he's hiding, Mm -hmm. I think that's why maybe he's not covering this face or maybe he just hasn't really found anything, um, really. I mean, because he hasn't taken the sack with him. Yeah. Not explained why. I mean, maybe it was tarnished because it was... Take the pow- its power was taken away because mm-hmm. uh, Ginny removed it. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It kind like of it, you know he's probably felt this vulnerability. Mm, yeah, and then feeling really annoyed when he sees people in Crystal Lake. Yeah, <laughs> as you do. As one. Yeah, does. as you do. But yeah, but I I like the idea of of the mask and how it comes to be. I yeah. think there's something so random about it, and really, you know, in. In subsequent movies, they could have changed the mask every single movie, really. Oh, yeah. Because, again, there's no rhyme or reason behind it. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, look, I would have been happy if he stayed with the sack, to be honest. I love the sack. I think it was scary. Yeah. Um, but that almost feels a bit sacrilegious to say yeah. that <laughs> because the mask is so brilliant, too. <laughs> sacrilegious. Boom, boom. <laughs> but, Kendall, we've talked about uh, Ginny a little bit, who, mm. you know, as, as I've said, Amy Steele's portrayal. My favorite final girl. Mm-hmm. She was originally supposed to be in part three. Was she? Yes. Ah. So the movie that we have yeah. is not the movie that was originally pitched. Oh. So the original pitch was that we would continue with Ginny. Yeah. And because she was so traumatized, um, and who wouldn't be, after her yeah. encounter with Jason, yeah. we would find her in a hospital recuperating mm. physically and mentally. Right. And then Jason finds her mm-hmm. and stalks her in the hospital oh. and kills off staff and patients one by one. Wow. Yeah, until he has a final confrontation with mm-hmm. Ginny. Mm-hmm. For those who have seen 1981's Halloween 2, this premise sounds extremely familiar. Oh, right? no. <laughs> They've done it again. <laughs> They've copied Halloween again. <laughs> However... <laughs> However, Amy still was offered the role and decided not to continue on. So I think it was more her agent said do something else. Right. And she has said in, in, in later interviews that she wished she 
actually had done it. would have done so, it. Yeah, okay. because she absolutely adores her association with the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Oh, cool. um, and Ginny, it's such a great character. Yeah, she was very good. Yeah. So, and you know that that I think that would have been a great movie. Yeah. As well. Yeah, especially yeah. to take the location away from Crystal Lake for yeah. a bit. Because that was one of my favorite things about the previous one. Right. Was the fact that it opened and we weren't at Crystal Lake. Yes. I'd like doing something a little different. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So who knows if they would have set the hospital in Crystal Lake or not. Mm. To some degree, it wouldn't have really mattered because you've got that association with Ginny. Of course. And it would have mirrored... Jason stalking Alice yeah, at yeah. the beginning of, of exactly. part two. Yeah. But you know what? The movie that we have now mirrors a lot of what we've already seen and we're only up to part three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Goodness. But one of the main selling points of this movie was the fact that it was in 3D. Mm. Um, so the team used new technology. I think the type of cameras and techniques they used it was the first time ever used to make 3D. Like, yeah, the instruments they used hadn't been done before. Wow. The sets were purposely built so they could fit the equipment and film it in a certain way. Mm. The house, the barn were all built for the movie. The lake itself was built oh. for the movie wow. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To film this. So they really wanted to make quite an impressive visual here. Yeah. So, you know, at the top of the show, we, we've sort of suggested, gosh, this would have been fun to watch in the movie. There's a lot of things poking at the screen, mm. right? <laughs> yeah, there is <laughs> From a lot. popcorn to yo-yos to poles to eyes. Mm. So much mm. pops <laughs> in the screen. But again, that's why you go see a 3D movie, right? That's the gimmick. So the question then is... We didn't watch it with our 3D glasses on. We watched no. it as it is yeah. on our trusty DVD. <laughs> Does the film still work without the 3D glasses on? I think so. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because I know, yeah, I know you warned me going in that mm. it's it was a 3D mm. film. But even if you hadn't have warned me, I either A, may have cottoned onto it, and B, mm. I don't think it was overdone. Right, okay. To the point where it was like, okay, this is ridiculous yeah like the things they did were kind of natural things that made sense a couple of them were a bit on the nose i suppose but um but it wasn't like every scene had to have a 3d thing in it. yes or every you know every 10 15 minutes we have to have a 3d thing like they it was done i think it was done very uh effectively for the most part so yeah there are moments where you know things are just really you know you, you can see the effort i've got to poke this to the camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but that being said, yeah, it doesn't ruin a 2D viewing of it. No, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think you miss out on anything. No. It'd be fun to watch. And, fun. and I, I know, yeah. great, I would happily watch this on the big screen yeah, in same. 3D. And yeah. I think it would be even more enjoyable. I think so too. But the way it works, you know, it, it works really fine. But... When you're putting so much effort into making this gimmick work, because, hey, if you're going to do 3D, do 3D, right? And we can tell they went for it here, (laughs) right? Uh, Any excuse to poke anything at the camera, they do it, right? And one could argue that when you have so much emphasis on the visual effects, you don't really care about performances. (laughs) And I can appreciate that in, you know, B-grade slasher movies... Uh, you know, your performances are never quite a top priority anyway. But I've got a quote here from Tracy Savage. Oh, yeah. So she played Debbie. Mm-hmm. 
And she said the key priority in every scene was making sure that the 3D effects worked. It didn't matter how the lines were delivered. It didn't matter if we stumbled or fumbled. It didn't matter if our performance was not perfect. We never did a second take. The 3D effects were a very technical, difficult thing to do. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we've also got a quote here from Larry Zoner, who played Shelley. Mm-hmm. And he also agrees that the effects were the main priority. Right. He said it quickly became clear that most of the time the performances didn't matter. When we were shooting the scene at the convenience store where the gang members and I had to throw a wallet at the camera, it was, hit the camera! Then after 10 takes, it was, hit the camera, asshole! So I think it was really that was the priority. Oh. No second take for acting, but multiple takes to make sure the effect it worked. Works. Which, again, that's why we're paying money at the box office, right? Yeah. We want to see Jason. You're promising me 3D. Yeah. Del- deliver that. Right. And by all intents and purposes, the film did deliver that, oh, really. Oh, did, yeah, clearly. Yeah. And probably for you, Kendall, maybe the fact that some of the writing was questionable for you then didn't makes, help, maybe, yeah. or makes sense. <laughs> right? Makes sense here, hearing those stories. Yeah, they're just kind of like, let's let's make this thing work. Let's just do the 3D thing. Yeah, but again, if you're you know, building you know houses and lakes and all of these yeah, true. Uh, types of things, you kind of just go, well, come on, we've got, to, we've got to sell this visual. Yeah, but again, looks like they achieved that pretty well. Mm-hmm. And to their credit, watching it without those... 3D effects popping out of the screen. The film still works. Mm. You know, like, as you say, they don't distract from what the the story they're they're trying to tell here. But about the performances, Mm. another collection of youngsters here. Yeah. You know, ready to be traumatized by (laughs) Mr. Jason Voorhees. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about our final girl, Dana Camille, as Chris Higgins. What were your thoughts on her? Mm, Well, well, I I really enjoyed uh, Dana as Chris throughout most of it. She Mm. lost me a little bit in the final act mm-hmm. though when she's the actual final girl mm-hmm. and i knew she was the final girl from the start because yeah. she was clearly you know the way you know her dialogue was and mm-hmm. and the story was story yeah was going <laughs> it just kind of hinted that she was uh she was definitely the final girl and she did seem to be the most articulate and yeah uh i don't know intelligent of the bunch and that's usually how it goes i think and yeah and she is a she was a, a great performer she's got a really nice on-screen presence mm. and i was i was really impressed the scene where she is recounting what happened to her yeah to rick was very effective i really liked that scene quite yeah. a bit i think she did a very good job of, of retelling that and and really selling her trauma mm. um i mean it came and went but for the most part i think she did a very good job yeah but then i just yeah i just think in the final the final act she kind of only had one type of scream, one type of reaction, <laughs> mm. very repetitive. Yeah. And this is a part where I call some of the writing into question. Just yeah. the fact that like she can't, like the fact at the end of the movie, she can't lift, she can push his body off the thing. <laughs> yeah. She can't lift this beam to open the barn door. I'm yeah. sorry. I mean, maybe it was, it was stuck. It was jammed. She does use a thing to try and get it out. Yeah, so she's exhausted. She's exhausted. Yep. Um, <laughs> There's other times where she's not running away as fast as she probably could. Mm. She's running to weird places that she shouldn't go. And I'm like, I know it's a big, great horror movie. (laughs) So I blame the writers. I don't blame her. So, yeah. So she she started off very strong. And then towards the end, kind of 
fizzled out a bit, but not to talk about the ending if we're, if I can talk about the ending yet. Uh, <laughs> I I'm guessing she cracks. <laughs> because, oh yeah, <laughs> she cracks. Because, yeah, uh, <laughs> because I feel like she could have sold it better. Yeah. Because I I I mean okay I figured that's what happened afterwards. I'm like oh okay I guess she's gone loopy because she's you know goes back and forth between screaming and like half-assed crazy laughing yeah we get a little bit of that in the barn you know she starts as soon as she sort of sees her it sort of triggers this memory again i guess yeah 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 so i kind of wish she'd just gone balls to the wall started just cackling and you wanted to like joke her level yeah i just wanted her to go for it yeah she kind of like sort of sold it in this realm of is she crazy or is she not which kind of i suppose goes you know along with a lot of the stuff that happens in this franchise where yeah. did this really happen? Or yeah. did it? <laughs> so that kind of works by that. But yeah. Uh, what do you, what do you think of, of her? Yeah. I, I like Chris. Uh, she's not, she's not really up there, up there for me, but I think Dana does well with the material that yes. she has. Yes. I do have to say the more I watch part three, cause yes, I do watch these films a lot. <laughs> I do warm to her a bit more. I think okay. she's, I agree with you. She's a very likable mm. screen presence. Mm. And I think, yeah, some of the dialogue that she has to work with is at her detriment. Yeah. So you can't really blame her on that. And again, no. if Steve Miner is focusing on effects, and he's not, the, not really giving her yeah. as much attention in terms of performance. Mm-hmm. So in saying that, Really, the work she delivers is pretty good when you think about it. Yeah, true. Yeah. It bears, bears to, you know, wondering, like, what could have been yeah. if they'd balanced the focus on the, the acting and the writing as well as the effects. Yeah, and I think that for me as well, the only time that it slips a little bit is her hysteria at yeah. the end. Yeah. But I do have issues with the ending overall, which okay. we will we'll get, get into. to Great. at the end. Yes. Uh, yeah. But um and so that all so it's all of these different um contributions, mm-hmm. you know, that that sort of impact I suppose my feedback. So, yeah, it's not um really Dana, it's the material. So I think she does do yeah. the best that she has. Yeah. And and she does go a bit helter-skelter with it, you know, like for example even when she's in the back of the police car, mm. she's you know screaming, and I think that's probably her best scream actually, because I think that's where she really does go for it. Oh in the yeah, back of the, the that, car. That's that one scream yeah. that was like, that, oh whoa. Okay. Yeah, okay, we're here now. Yeah, yeah, and then you know it jumps to a bit of fear, and then it goes to hysteria, and so it's uh, psychologically, mm. I think she's trying to do a lot. I think it kind of works. You just okay. it shows that her mind is really going everywhere and that she's not trusting of anything or, or anyone or that she's, you know, even when they, when they drive away, she turns around to look. So there's still this sort of, I can't turn my back on this place. I can't turn my back on him. I think there's little subtle hints. Um, Does it reach where it could have? No, I don't think so. And I don't think there was enough before that to really also add to the selling of her going a bit cuckoo. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think one of the reasons for that Mm. is because the backstory that we do get, that flashback, Mm. has a bit of ambiguity to it. Sure. So... Oh, yeah, because she blacks out, She does black out. So Jason is, you know, fighting with her Mm. and then she blacks out and wakes up. She does not know what what happens, right? Yeah. So Kendall... What happened? Yeah. <laughs> Did you have any theories? Well, no, I didn't. Mm. I didn't have any theories. I wasn't sure. 
I mean, you know, Jason tends to just straight up murder people. Right. So, yeah, he doesn't really take prisoners. Um, we do know he has a fascination with his beloved mother. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, she doesn't really bear too much of a resemblance to her. No. I couldn't tell you what Jason would have done with her. In the original script, I think it's heavily implied that he actually sexually assaults her. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, wow. And so the motivation behind this was that this franchise is going to be a trilogy. Mm -hmm. So if we make him a bit more on the evil side, then people aren't going to be too sad when he dies at the end. Right. This was considered too dark, and I think Dana Camille had objections to that, so they did leave it ambiguous. Mm -hmm. That ambiguity works a lot better for me because if we went there, that's incredibly inconsistent for Jason. That's not his thing. No. And I actually like the ambiguousness of it. Yeah. And this is why. Because I think it allows potential for further stories. Yeah. Insofar that, as you said, we know that Jason kills, right? Mm. There are moments where he will taunt people mm. he might hold them on for that little bit longer for whatever reason we know that he uses people mostly after they're dead as traps or so he can scare his would-be victims so they scream and he knows where they are and all of these different things mm-hmm. right but i actually think that that was a legitimate fight he did intend to take her somewhere not too far away mind you mm. to kill her because he never gets a full hold on her Mm. So he can't kill her unless he's really grabbed her, mm. which is what he does to all of his victims. Mm. If he's, you know, if it's a one-on-one thing, he's made sure that he's very up close to do it, or he's holding on to them and, and will kill them. Mm-hmm. He never gets that opportunity with her. However, she passes out, mm. so it's not really a hunt, uh, and because she's unconscious. Mm-hmm. It's almost like there's nothing to hunt. Yeah, right. So that's the angle that I've actually gone with this flashback. Okay. And it's one that I've always had. I never thought sexual assault ever until sort of reading the intentions of the scripts. And I'm glad they didn't do that. That's just bullshit and it does not work. And it doesn't do any favors for anybody. No. Yeah, it's stupid. So I don't entertain it even as a thing. Yeah. And I think that... Is I, I look at it more from Jason's point of view. What is his motivations? Mm. He's never motivated sexually. Never. No. I mean, it's no. been, in these movies, <laughs> he's got opportunities to be motivated that way. You oh, know? yeah. There's a lot of people he can prey on, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, that's why all of that is so inconsistent for his mm. character. But I think mm-hmm. it's the hunt. I think he's got somebody who now isn't fighting, isn't resisting, isn't even awake. Mm. That it's not even an option for him now. I don't know, there's something that's lost. It's quite serial killerish, <laughs> you know, that you're yeah. addicted to this element of seeing someone scared before killing. Yeah. Um, which makes him scarier and creepier, right? Yeah, yeah. And what gives weight to my argument, mm-hmm. we'll see in another movie. Oh! Yes. I have a, a future scene to back it up. Ooh, I love this. <laughs> to, justify, love uh, this. to justify this. So that's my take on that flashback and that's a good take. why it transpires. And uh, I think it just gives their interaction more depth. Mm-hmm. But I do agree with you because she blacks out, mm. even though we can justify how she survives and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. but because she blacks out is the trauma of being terrorized by this disfigured man enough 
to trigger such hysteria. Yeah. Two years later. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. But I don't know. Especially because the whole reason we're back at Crystal Lake mm. in the first place is because she wanted to prove something to herself, you know, realize that she's she can be brave and strong and, you know, face her fears and all of this stuff. Yeah. And like, she's trying to do that and now she's going insane. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just interesting. It is interesting because normally when you've got your hero who mm. comes to face their fears, they succeed. Mm. And whilst... Again, we could argue she literally faces her fear (laughs) because she, yes, runs away from Jason, but she still goes to him in some elements to kill him um, and to attack him and thinks she's successful. So we could argue, yes, you faced your fear, but if she goes hysterical, if she goes a bit crazy, then he's won. Yeah. You know, whether he's dead or alive. And at the end of this movie, we assume he's dead, right? But he's won. It's a, or there are no yeah. winners, perhaps. Yeah. Right? Because no one makes it out in one piece here. No, no, not at all. Yeah. But the man himself, Jason Voorhees, played by the gentlemanly Richard Brooker. <laughs> uh, what were your thoughts on his performance? Yeah, great. I thought he was, I thought he was very good. I really... Uh, there's this one shot and they used it in the trailer as well, mm. where he like takes the step through this window. Yes. Great shot. Yeah. What a shot. Just the the imposing figure mm. that that is coming towards you, yeah, um, is just yeah, very striking, very wonderfully done. I really like that. Show. It's like a postcard. All it needed it was "Welcome to Crystal Lake." Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, it's, done. It is a great shot, actually, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it's like you know, it's this home invasion. It's it's very threatening. You're right. You mm. know, it's it's beautifully done. I really like his performance here. He's yeah. quite he's still quite human here. And, you know, he feels pain, he grunts, he kind of growls. Mm. He has fun taunting he does. Chris as well, that moment mm-hmm. when he takes off the mask. You know, Oh, that I, was, I loved that. That yeah. was creepy. Yeah. But I loved it. Oh, yeah, I thought that was so good yeah. because we're like, he's like, I remember I you. I remember you. Yeah, yeah and now you was, remember me. And yeah. she's like, How oh, it, yeah, it's you and rah, rah, yeah. and no, it can't be. And, you know, all, all of these all yeah. of these different lines, very exposition-y, but I don't know, they kind of work to really enforce, I guess, her trauma. Yeah. 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 So, no, I, I agree. I really like Richard Booker as, yeah. as Jason. I think he does such a great job. Very good job. We have a horde of victims, <laughs> formerly known as Chris's friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, did any of them particularly stand out for you, Kendall? Yeah, I mean, yeah, part of me did have a, a soft spot for Shirley, like I said <laughs> earlier. I can identify with being being the, you know, the unpopular one who's mm. trying to fit in and, like, being set up with this, you know, really nice woman. Vera I really liked. Um, mm. I thought she was wonderful. I was sad to see her be the first of the friends to, to go. Yeah. Um, and she went in one of the best kills yeah. ever. <laughs> but that was, yeah. But she was, you know, she was nice. The only part about Shirley I didn't like is when, like, she, re- quote unquote, rejected him. Yeah. And he called her a bitch behind yeah. her back. I was like, oh, no, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't ruin yourself like that. That's right. Um. Yeah. yeah. But no, they were, it was uh, just in general, though, the ca- like the cast of the, of the friends this time the group mm-hmm. the main core were i i really enjoyed them like i, I feel like they were an maybe an improvement upon the previous film oh, okay yeah or yeah. maybe or, or on the same level yeah. but i think the acting across the board was a lot better oh um, really yeah because there was a couple of I, th- I remember there was yeah. a couple of performances in number two that i didn't 
yeah, love. That's fair. And in this this one, I thought they were. I mean, whilst also not perfect, yeah. I I don't know. I I enjoyed like some of the like the a lot of the girls got these really funny like one liners <laughs> that like paid out the guys. I'm, yeah, I, I was really enjoying that. Which is quite nice because again, you don't quite get that really. Never do really you? get that. No, yeah. especially in films like these. Yeah. And um, do you yeah. know one thing? Speaking about the women, what I actually like in in this movie is because look, you know. Slasher movies are also skin flicks sometimes, right? Yes. Yeah, but it's kind of... And yeah, they do have a bit of nudity there. Yeah, Tracy Savage is, is having a shower. But like, mm. at least she was having a shower. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, I'm just going to take yeah. my clothes off for no reason. There's which, no gratuitous nudity. Yeah, which we'll see plenty of in this franchise, right? Yeah, yeah. But it kind of like everything... I don't know about their interactions didn't make sense for me as well. Mm. Like, I agree with you. I really like Catherine Parks' Vera. I yeah. think she is, she's gorgeous. She's mm. quite sympathetic. Mm-hmm. I like that they just don't do the obvious thing that, oh, you know, Shelly saved her from the bikey gang, so she's going to fall in love with yeah, him. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. You know, and she was just quick to cut him off. And it might seem a bit abrupt at first or abrasive to be like, let's not type thing. But mm. she's, she's respectful. She's, she's cutting him off then and there as to not lead him yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, And it's kind of like, Let's take a breather and we'll come back and chat. Mm. You know, she makes amends or really tries to. Yeah. And his social ineptness is what keeps pushing them apart. Mm. But she ultimately, even though she gets frustrated with him, doesn't hold it against him because she sees that photo of him and his mother in, in his wallet. Um, you know, she's really feels bad when she drops it in the lake yeah. and, and she's like, Oh, you know, I found your wallet. I'm sorry. Right. Type thing. And the one thing that I do like, because I think it would have been tragic otherwise is that just before she dies, she realizes it's not Shelly because I think yeah. that would have been incredibly sad if she thought Shelly, Shelly killed the oh, man who's going to kill her, yeah. you know? And I know that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of quick thinking just before your demise. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if we, if we break it up sort of mm. frame by frame, mm-hmm. there's something, I guess, reassuring about that. I don't know. It's, I'm being a bit soft, but I just think it's kind of, there's something nice about it. No, if no, gonna, I get what you're saying. Yeah, if yeah. you're going to die in a slasher, at least know it's the killer and not somebody yeah. that, <laughs> that, well, and that especially you're Especially because know. Vera seemed to have her, her head on straight. Yeah. So she didn't seem like a, a you know, a ditzy kind of, kind of gal. Like no, she, none of the girls are here. No, they're, they're well. which I, well. <laughs> Chili is a different story. She's a different but story. But we can blame that on the drugs. We, we can. <laughs> if we so choose, we, we, can, so choose. we can do that. But the rest of the girls, yeah. they're not entirely these, you know, one note bimbos. No, no. Which, which I, I appreciate. Yeah. And again, it's like everyone is sort of paired up and they've got the different dynamics. They're not all lovers are not all overly affectionate like even chris and rick Mm. are working things out Mm -hmm. themselves you know he's quite assertive at the beginning you know Mm. he's all over and she's pushing him away and he's kind of respectful of it and he's trying other means and things like that which i think is a a pretty good dynamic what did you think about rick as the love interest for chris yeah no i i i didn't mind him i mean not my Probably not my favorite mm. out of the franchise so far. He doesn't have a lot to do, though. Let's be no. honest. You know, he's the, he's the he's the the country boy yeah. who looks good with his shirt off. Like he, that's all he really is, basically. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. There's your gratuitous nude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish we'd had a better explanation as to why their relationship is kind of mm. on the rocks or on edge. Because there seems to be this implication of long distance stuff, like, you know, not talking to each other for ages or or seeing each Mm. other for ages. And they don't really explain why that is. I'm guessing it might have something to do with what happened to Chris. Yeah, because the way I 
thing. And again, I don't know for sure, but what I can draw from it was that he does have this line about always having to take cold showers, Mm. um, you know, implying that she is cold and distant from him. And she's not told Rick about her encounter with Jason before. Mm. So she's explaining it to him and to us at the same time. So I feel like she's had this traumatic experience and yes, it does involve a man hitting at her and and things like that. Mm. And so that sort of made her a bit weary of maybe physical contact perhaps, mm-hmm. particularly with men. So, uh, and she's not communicated that with him because she's still trying to sort herself out. And now she's come to this conclusion. Right. No, I need to face my fears. Hence mm-hmm. I'm back here. Right. Okay. But I think you have to do a lot of work to come to that conclusion, right? You, you do. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no sort of further discussion after her revelation yeah. about anything. And, mm. and I think that that was an opportunity to explore Rick a bit more. Yeah, and they didn't you know. go for it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, out of our, the main two couples, mm. for lack of a better word, he's not really explored as much. No. For example, I think you get more from even Debbie and Andy. Mm. You know, in terms of their, you get their really sweet dynamic. Yeah. They look like they were high school sweethearts, like mm. that they've been together for, for a, a really long yeah. time. They're quite playful. Mm-hmm. They've got a wonderful sense of humor with each other. Mm-hmm. They look amazing together. They do. Absolutely do. But with, with Debbie, a plot point <laughs> that's interesting mm. is that she's pregnant. Yeah. And we never hear it again. <laughs> We hear it like what? <laughs> like once or twice. We hear it twice in the van. Yeah. Because, well, you know, you have to pee a lot when you're pregnant. Yeah. And then when oh, they're yeah. and then when they're eating the marijuana, <laughs> she's like, "Oh no no, we're pregnant, can't do it." Yeah. And then when she's in the shower, she's happy to take a beer. Yeah. <laughs> when Andy goes to. And then she says no, but then she doesn't say why. No, but it has nothing to do no. with her pregnancy because she would no. said no to begin with, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like the writers mm. or the director forgot about it or didn't give a crap. Yeah, it just seemed. It, like, I forgot about it <laughs> until you just mentioned it then. Like, I actually did. Yeah. And, uh, like, the only thing that I can think of was that if we think about their intentions originally for the flashback with Jason and Chris mm. making Jason sinister mm. well him killing a pregnant girl makes him evil as well yes right so but I just the, you're right nothing really comes of it no. it's not mentioned again like even if you want to do a cliche of her holding her belly you know, like to, to acknowledge like, oh, you know, something's in there. Rah, rah. Mm. Like there's nothing like that. So you don't feel any extra loss. Like no. she's a great character, yeah. really likable. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you feel for her, yeah, but absolutely. you don't consider anything else because no. it's, it's raised for no reason. Yeah, literally. It's, it's not used. Like you don't, yeah. it's not like, <laughs> you know, it's not like Chekhov's gun. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you don't... In- you got to use that. You don't introduce something in Act 1 and not use it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, forget about yeah. it. Like and it's... if you're not going to use it, you still acknowledge it to trick your audience. <laughs> but it's not. nothing's done with it. No. This is interesting, though, because... I don't know if you remember, Kendall, because we didn't actually discuss this. I, I never brought it up. But in Part 2, I don't know if you remember, but there's a hint through Ginny mm. that she thinks she's pregnant at one stage. Oh. Because she has this one moment... It was a false alarm, like it would have had to have been. But there's this one moment where she says to Paul, I'll never be late again. 
but it's said in that sort of, uh, you know, wink to the camera type thing. Right. So, and I don't look, Steve Miner worked on both films, so yeah, I don't know true. if this is something that he wants to add in. Right. But yeah, so I, I just kind of wish that they never made that element no. for Debbie because, again, it doesn't do anything, right? No. Yeah. It and does nothing. Not effective at all. But no. you know what? Um, she and Andy would have made great parents, let's be honest. <laughs> sure they would have been great i think so too yeah <laughs> um our other main couple is chuck and chili yeah <laughs> wow their names sound so disgusting when you put them together like that yeah <laughs> they actually That's do kind of gross yeah um look <laughs> they're there for, for me they're there for a comic relief oh, totally. um i think chuck is quite effective i, I really like chuck you loved his bit. popcorn eating skills the didn't popcorns, you <laughs> the popcorn gag was great yeah, I look. I'm not always the biggest fan of stoner humor or stoner yeah. comedy, but when it's done effectively, <laughs> it can be very funny. And I think he was a good a good use of the trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed his uh, performance. Mm. Yeah, David Katims uh, was very very good. But I can't say the same for Rachel Howard as Chili. Oh my gosh! Now. <laughs> <laughs> When she dies yes. and when she's being stalked, is it not some of the worst acting, and I use the term very loosely, that you've ever seen? It was not great. I mean, like, I know she's high for half of the film, right? Yeah, yeah, But yeah. the way she just sort of flounders around yeah, that house. Yeah, yeah. And the sound she makes when she's stabbed yeah. is so bad. <laughs> it was very bad, which was surprising. I was genuinely surprised because she wasn't exactly terrible before then. Like she was, no. she was passable. She was fine. She did, yeah. Like she, you know, for for her character, for her character, um, and you know, you could be a bit spacey because why not? You know, but mm-hmm. no, but no, you're right. Before all of that, she's mm. actually okay. She was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I didn't. But yeah. fuck, she did not rise to the challenge, did she? Nah. But her death always just makes me chuckle because of her the way she that noise she makes when he like stabs her. It's like, what the hell was that, man? Blame the threatening effects. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. As as we've said, look, these other actors, they were under the same conditions and did well. That's true. I, I, sh- I shouldn't give her credit. No, I kind of feel she just looked at the time and goes, oh, it's clock off time. One more take. <laughs> We've got it. All right, that's fine. It's in the can. It's in the can. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I um, <laughs> I think we're in agreement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially yeah. when you, for example, can uh, like, and I don't know Rachel Howard's like background or anything, but for example, Larry Zona wasn't really an actor. He was discovered on the street handing out flyers. Oh, really? And they went up to him and said, "Hey, do you want to be in a horror movie?" <laughs> like. Yeah. Done. And he's really good. Yeah, he was yeah. great. Again, I, I enjoyed him. Yeah, like again, I don't know if he had taken acting classes before or mm-hmm. maybe he just has a natural talent because he loves movies. Like, mm. I don't know, but yeah, you just kind of go, mm, chilly. 
Some people are good at acting. <laughs> and some people just aren't. Not really. Not really. Oh, goodness. But um, we've got some other characters here in this sort of subplot mm. that happens. Some other antagonists. We do, yes. Our bikey gang mm. made up of Ali Fox and Loco. Yeah. So what do you think about this added threat? And uh, mostly towards Shelley. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. Vera. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what did you think of them? You know, an interesting addition mm. to the franchise, to the film. You know, usually we just really see Jason or, yeah. or, or his mother as the antagonist. Yeah. So it was kind of nice to mix things up a little bit mm. and create a little bit of extra tension. And I liked, like, one of the cool parts about the writing was mm. the fact that their revenge of getting rid of all the petrol because they were going to light the yeah. barn on fire backfired later on in the film. Like yeah. I, I was waiting for that to come around. Like, that was good. Yeah. That was done well. But yeah, no, I I mean, you know, look, there isn't too much to be said yeah. for them. I mean, they're your typical bikey gang in these kinds of mm. films. And neither here nor there in terms of being intimidating. Like, no. just just fine, very stereotypical. They're there to be killed off at the end of the day, aren't they? More basically. Than yeah. yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, I did enjoy Ali the most out of all of them, although Gloria Charles as Fox was having the time of her life. <laughs> she was loving, she loved being in this movie, huh? She loved being in this yeah. movie. She was eating it up. <laughs> yeah, Which yeah. I, I really appreciated. Um, yeah, what did you think of them? Yeah, they're, they're an interesting addition because normally when you've got additional future victims of Jason in these films you know they're in their own little lots so you know they're existing in crystal lake doing this thing and then we've got our main group of kids doing this thing then we've got these other people doing this and they don't really ever cross or interact so it was an interesting choice to have them there you're right it does contribute to an obstacle for chris at the end with the Mm. petrol Mm -hmm. um you know and she flips it for the reserve we're like oh good she's getting away and then the boards break and so i mean it's 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 all it all works together doesn't it and Mm. intention Mm -hmm. and then sometimes you don't know if it's jason or if it's a biker like when debbie goes to the van and we see ali's legs at the bottom there so first Mm. it was that jason or you know so i think there's they're good there for some um, fake outs as well yeah yeah i agree i really like Ali. Loco doesn't really have much to do. Mm. And Fox, I think you'll, she's either hit or miss for some people. <laughs> she can I, be I can understand that. Either totally. annoying yeah. or you can just run with it yeah. as well. Especially if she's just sort of wandering through the barn and then she's swinging on the rope. And But um, I have to say, even though you don't really see it, mm. the result of her kill is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. The way she's sort of pinned to the, pinned to to the to beams the, and the rafters yeah, there. that was cool. Yeah. But as, as a trio, they actually have kind of good rapport. You actually believe that they... Oh, Oh, yeah. Have, you know, have been delinquents all their lives. <laughs> yeah, they sold it well. Yeah. Uh, one other person of the cast that I think we have to give special credit to is a character by the name of Abel, played by David Wiley. And he is the crazy Ralph knockoff. Uh. <laughs> Who um, had some roadkill, for lack of a better word, <laughs> had a person's eye oh. or a creature's eye and didn't want to let it go. It was his. <laughs> he was so protective of it. <laughs> yep. That was a scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was entertaining. Like, this is a, a staple of these films. I'm starting, to, <laughs> I'm starting to see a pattern. Yeah. Of, like, you know, they... 
there's this crazy guy <laughs> who has to warn the kids not to go to Crystal Lake yeah. in, you know, in the, the creepiest ways possible. <laughs> and then the eye didn't even really resemble an eye. No, I don't know what it belonged to. I, I got the impression the way he was talking belonged to a person. Yeah, me too. But it didn't quite didn't look that way. Fit. Did no. it? No. Can you no. imagine that in the cinema, Pokemon? Well, I was just going to say, Gross. like, that probably would have made for a very impactful <laughs> effect on the big screen in 3D. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. Were you surprised that he didn't come back somehow towards the end of the film? No, not really. Okay, because you know how like they did that with Ralph yeah. in part one yeah, and then yeah, he appears yeah. in two and is killed off, but then with Abel, he's there and yeah. then that's kind of it. Yeah. But then you really used him as that foreshadower of doom and yeah. then to have the, that effect. I, but, yeah. yeah, I feel like maybe because they they killed off Ralph and he was the prime version mm. of this kind of character that yeah. maybe they didn't want to do that again. Yeah. With Abel, they wanted to do something different. Yeah. And they just kind of, I guess, he served his purpose, didn't he? Yeah. 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 And look, to be honest, with the, the inconsistent writing on this film, <laughs> I mean, let's not really <laughs> expect, expect too much. But, but yeah, I didn't, I did not think, yeah. you know, because he's, he's a character that you see in lots of different he, horror films. Yes. So. Especially like ones set in small towns and communities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, he's gen like generally known as a one scene and I'm out kind of yes. character. So I did, yeah, I didn't expect him to come back, but yeah, yeah he, he definitely made a mark on the film. <laughs> he did, didn't he? <laughs> I, th- I thought David Wiley played him quite well. Actually. Oh yeah. 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 He, did, he did a great job. Yeah, yeah. I think again, he's, that's a role that he would have had fun doing. Uh, yeah. yeah. I just don't know how Chris didn't see him on the road. Am I? <laughs> I know you said you're daydreaming. I'm glad they put that line in there because I almost was like, okay, that's stupid. And then she said, I'm, I was so daydreaming. I must not have seen him. And I'm like, yeah, but he's literally right there in front of you. Like, how do you not? Anyway. And also you're driving. Cut out the daydreaming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it's just a one lane, like dirt road in the middle of this woods. Like, Doesn't matter. Nah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. No, excuse- no excuses, Chris. No excuses. Well... We've gone through quite a few of the victims here, right? Yes, we have. So it has to be asked, favourite kill or practical effect? Oh, okay. So in terms of the kills, I quite enjoyed Debbie's death Mm. as kind of a a Kevin Bacon homage. Yes. (laughs) To the first film. Yeah. (laughs) That was was good. Mm. I mean, the the only bad thing about it was... Was Debbie being confused as to like, where is this coming from? It's literally, <laughs> it's dripping from above. I'm, I yeah. love you, doll, but what the hell? <laughs> um, <laughs> she didn't even had a beer yet. No, <laughs> hadn't even had a beer yet. Silly pregnant woman. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, her, that kill was very. That was very very good. Mm. I like that a lot. I was impressed by the fact that they went for the head squash. Yeah, like. I mean... With Rick. With Rick, yeah. They could have obviously maybe pulled it off better if mm. they'd had a bigger budget yeah. to do it a bit better. Like if they could use someone like Rick Baker or Stan Winston, yeah. for example, like the Kings, to pull that off. They did pretty well with mm. what they had to it. And it was a very inventive mm. kill. Because I was wondering, like, you know, because I love that shot of... You know, of Chris on one side, and she can't see Jason holding yeah. Rick. I'm like, what's he gonna do with him? And it's then, Jason taunting. Jason taunting. Yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was super effective. So and then you've like got that. the the final punch to the gag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that eye hits you right in the face. Yeah. 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 
That was, yeah, that was very, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to use the word impactful again, but, <laughs> but you know, very, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah you, well, you reacted to it. I did. Yeah. I did. That was the one time. Cause I was just like, oh my God. Okay. It's coming out. <laughs> I mean, there probably should have been more blood, I think. Yeah. Cause it was kind of just the face squash and yeah. the eye kind of coming out. It served its purpose. Yeah. It's a great um, gag. It's a great gag. Yeah. And yeah, I definitely appreciate what they were going for. That's yeah. For sure. Well, well, I agree with you with those as well. Like I quite I quite like those. If I really had to narrow it down to yeah. the, to my favorite kill, uh-huh. probably the one that felt the most painful, and that was Andy's. Yeah, who's doing his handstand and yeah. the machete down the leg or in between the legs. Yeah, yeah. They, they not really. You don't really get to see where it hits. No, but... so it looks like it gets him. Like it's going right down the middle. Yeah. But when we cut to seeing his dismembered body, we mm. can see that it's actually taken a leg off. Yeah. So whilst at first, and this is why it's painful watching, you think he goes right <laughs> down the split. Yeah. Uh, it's more off to the side. Off to the side, yeah. Yeah, and I believe the original take of that showed the leg being cut off. Oh, wow. But, um, of course, the MPAA was like, Nope. Yeah, nope. Nope, um, you know, And I, a lot of these kills had gotten trimmed just to, because they're showing too much blood or yeah. this, that, or the other. And yeah. But that one probably um, was the one that got suffered, you know, the, the most with it. But I, look, we see the aftermath of it. But I think just the impact of it is just terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Because if we wonder why is he suddenly on, you know, on his hands mm. uh, earlier on and joking around. But, I mean, it makes sense with his character because yeah. he does a bit of a sense of humor, you know, he's juggling. So he's obviously quite playful. And I mean, if he's friends with Shelly as well, like, you know, they're roommates and Shelly is an actor who has these bag of tricks. So you know that Andy would have been involved in a lot of these tricks as well. Mm. Um, but you know, when Debbie's around, he's got other priorities, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that has continued on with this franchise is the score. Mm. Harry Mandolfini is still here mm-hmm. doing a wonderful score. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I had though was that you do hear Jason's theme mm. quite a bit, even when we're not looking at Jason's point of view. Mm. You know, like first when we're introduced to Rick, who's watching everyone arrive in the van, and you see only his, you know, the back of him. You get Jason's theme. Yeah. So like, I kind of get it. They want to hint ooh, who's creeping around and rah rah, but you feel like they could have still done other sinister music for it. Yeah, very. I don't true. know. There's a lot of because the music fakes you out a lot mm. and I feel like it does it too many times when it's not Jason. It does. Yeah. You're I mean right. it's still a great score, don't oh, get me wrong. It's it's very effective. A great score. But mm. yeah, but for me I was just like, oh it's you're kind of overusing yeah. Jason's theme here. Yeah. Yeah. I kind I kind of agree, especially considering there were so many fake outs mm. in this movie. Like there were quite a lot. Yeah. Which like added to the thrills. It did. Yeah. It did, it did. But then yeah, it kind of came to a point where it's like, okay, when is the actual Yeah. <laughs> you know, because usually you know you save your your killer's theme for the moments when they're on screen absolutely or when yeah. they're doing their thing but here they're like no just use it everywhere yeah anytime that spread uh, it on anytime that uh you know we've got a point of view <laughs> from somebody yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 look it was a choice yeah <laughs> it was a choice uh, a yeah choice. i don't think it worked as well as they as they had intended, but yeah, that's mm. fine. Mm-hmm. Well, Harry Manfredini teamed up with Michael Zagar mm. for that glorious opening title song. My God, how 80s. I love it. I love yeah, it so I, much. I love it. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's almost 
almost got a, like a, a disco inspired, <laughs> which is weird for a slasher film. But yeah. Like, it works. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, do you know how hard it was for me to contain myself, you know, not to sort of bop my head around to that music because it is amazing. <laughs> and I was just like, no, Wayne, there are people here. No. <laughs> no. It's just me. It is just you. But you know what? I just want to be like, no, no, we're watching this movie for the purpose of review. You have to contain yourself. Save it for the podcast. But literally, I was smiling most of the time. If you looked over and see me like this, like, oh. <laughs> But I, but you know, because um, Ken, you're such a lover of music, mm-hmm. and you know, you know your music really, really well. Um, look, a lot better than I do. So I was really curious, even before I loaded up the the DVD player, I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear what Kendall thinks of this music because it's so out of place, right? Yeah. For a Jason movie. Yeah. But it's so '80s that it's great. It's so '80s, like yeah. I mean. I'm curious to actually see what the music is for the franchise going forward. Mm-hmm. If they return to sort of this style or if they go in a different direction. Just because, like, and not to bring my man into this, but <laughs> 1982 is the year Thriller was released. Yeah. And this this theme just gave me those vibes. Oh, okay. Like, not to a huge degree. No. And maybe just because I am an, a huge Michael Jackson fan, that's probably why. But, like, just that kind of danceable spookiness yes you know it really kind of brings that so i'd be curious to see if going forward they Mm. they kind of keep with that uh that theme but yeah i really i really enjoyed it it was it was a huge change Mm. from the previous two films so when it actually started i was like my god what is this yeah oh okay cool cool yeah i mean and it's so fitting with the titles that they show because the the names are designed to literally pop out of the screen so i guess you need something quite upbeat with it yeah it definitely fits Um, and it's funny that i was saying it was like i really wanted to pop along and a little embarrassed to do so but um you know like i've listened to friday the 13th podcasts as well and one of them that was talking about part three and everyone always talks about this score and this particular theme and how much I've never heard anyone who dislikes this theme. Right. Yeah. But this particular podcast talked about the theme and all these other elements of the movie. And I was listening to it. I was listening to it late at night and I actually drifted off asleep. When I woke up, it got into the part where they decided to play the whole song (laughs) as their outro (laughs) And I was terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Like I woke, I slowly was waking up and this music was playing and my heart started racing because I got really scared because it is so spooky. So I don't know, just when you're watching the film, it's fun. But if you're listening to it in isolation, it's scary. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But no, I I do adore it. I do adore it. Well, we've got a great opening, right? And, you know, uh, for some people, I'm sure they could either go here or there with the recap of part two. These days, when you've got the luxury of watching movies whenever, Mm. you're like, well, that's a really long recap. But Mm. we have to remember these movies were like a year apart. So Mm. we had to refresh audiences' minds. Mm -hmm. Nothing was out on VHS then. No. Not not that early on in the decade. So for me, I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we've got a really strong opening. But what are your thoughts on the ending? (laughs) <laughs> and the ending of the movie. Wow. Yes. Well, um, okay. So, look, 
I touched on it earlier when I was talking um, about Dana Kimball's performance mm. as Chris and how I didn't really like her, what she, you know, the choices she made and whether it's like we both kind of agreed mm. that whether it was her choice or most probably mostly the writers or maybe uh, the director as well. But yeah, she just didn't, she didn't entirely work in the end for me. But I mean, the whole thing kind of, I guess when it comes together, it does kind of work mm. and it sets out successfully to do what it, what it wanted mm-hmm. to do, the purpose of it and everything. Like the tension is there, you know, it's, it's, most of it is, is quite effective and quite well done. The one other big problem I had with it though, mm-hmm. was when Ali comes out of nowhere and mm. you're like, what the hell? He's alive? Where has he been this whole time? Mm-hmm. What the hell is with that? And he immediately gets taken down. <laughs> he pops up again for three seconds and he's <laughs> dead. And, and the, you know, annoyed me was the fact that they use the same sound effect in both scenes. Like the first scene where you think Jason is killing him. Right. Is the same sound effect when he's actually killing. Oh, right. Gosh, you know, I've not picked up on that. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm fairly, look, I'm fairly confident it was yeah. the same sound because I was listening to see because I was just, because, you know, you don't, in the first shot, you don't see him being brutalized. You just no. assume it. Yeah, but, you assume it because you, and you see Jason's arm moving down. Yeah. So initially you might think, oh, he's chopping him, but really he's just beating him. Yeah. And you yeah. don't really know that until I guess Ali comes back at the no, end, right? No, no. But like, this ain't Jason's first rodeo. Like, no. He, he knows how to, you know, <laughs> he knows how to beat and yeah. dismember and murder people. Yeah. So how, like, and he doesn't really just beat someone unconscious, really. Like, no. he, he'll go smash their brains in, yeah. basically. And so Ali emerges like with some blood maybe on the side of his face maybe i think maybe his arm is mm. a bit disheveled but you overall he's fine yeah and he's very energetic and like hell yeah i'm here mm. i'm gonna take you down well he's had all that time to recuperate yeah he? literally he's just been chilling in the barn somewhere the whole time and then yeah and then jason takes him down and then you see him you know yeah. use the machete on him and i was just like um Hmm. But anyway, the other part of the ending, which I really kind of liked, but, well, yes, I kind of like yes and no. Mm-hmm. In terms of homages to the first film, if I had to pick the best homage, it's it's definitely the Kevin Bacon one. Mm. But, you know, the fact that Chris is waking up in the canoe mm. at the end and she's, you know, every little thing is making a jump. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> And this is where I was kind of starting to just get really frustrated at her because Jason's <laughs> Jason appears from across the lake and she could see him through the window and he's got the mask mm. off and he's like gleefully waiting to kill her. Yeah. And she's freaking out and trying to get away. I'm like, honey, he's on land. You're fine. Like, I know <laughs> this is a horror movie and I know that's why you're trying to get away, but it's like, come on, be, have some sense. I know, but also you're losing your mind at the same time. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, then you get that really great shot of Jason coming out mm. and then running like towards camera towards yeah. where she is in the lake. I really like that shot. And then it cuts Chris cuts back and he's gone and she's all confused. And then Mama Voorhees mm-hmm. comes from the lake and I, I was like, what the 
oh. <laughs> 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 what's happening uh-huh. <laughs> um mm-hmm. yeah and then it it seems to be revealed not long after that that she was hallucinating was the whole the dream thing. the whole time the whole thing was a dream mm. very similar to alice in the first one yeah uh you know in in one version of the ending i suppose but yeah, I, 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 at first I was like, well, no, what's going on here? I thought it was real, but then yep. they do kind of, I don't know, they kind of leave it ambiguous, but I think maybe it does kind of seem to be that, that Chris has lost her marbles. Yeah. yeah. And I guess really that sort of adds to that. She has gone nuts really, mm. you know, like she's now, she can't help but see him. No. So before I launch into my thoughts <laughs> on the ending, <laughs> Mrs. Voorhees jumping out of the water. Yay or nay? Ooh. Pick a side. Pick a side. Pick a side. Oh, is this a divisive thing in the, the Friday fandom? Definitely is for me. I yeah. don't know about everyone else. Okay. I, oh, it, it's always questionable, but okay. yeah. Probably not as much as I'm going to make it sound like one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do I like it or do I not like it? I probably... I probably lean more towards not liking mm. it only because Chris didn't have any, I don't, okay. Would Chris have had any prior knowledge of what Alice saw? No. Yeah. This is where I'm about to go. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm, I, I'm glad we think alike. Yeah. Because, yeah, because if she, that would make sense contextually if she, yeah. if she did, and yeah. that would, that would, you know, her brain would make that up. But yeah. the fact that it's the same thing, I mean, yeah, it's symbolic and all of that stuff, but yeah, yeah like it's fine. But I, I think if I had to pick a side, I'd say I, I'm, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Because let's not forget, right. That she first encountered Jason before the events of part two. Yeah. Part two happens and she's encountering Jason the day after. Mm. So all that we know is that this person has gone killing a lot of people. And she wasn't even watching the news <laughs> to know that information. He's never called Jason. She doesn't know who he is. Mm. So she would have no reason to hallucinate about his mother. Yeah. So that's what I don't like. Yeah. So I do also have to ask, Kendall, because I remember that, you know, you didn't quite buy the reason why Alice took the canoe into the lake at yeah, the end of part one. Yeah. And I was a staunch defender of Alice as to why she did that. Yeah. Were you more okay with Chris doing it because it's an homage? Or were you just like, Chris, I don't know what's going on in your head. You do you, honey. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think I was more okay with it because it was an homage. Yeah. And because it was the most sensical thing she'd done in the last <laughs> 15 minutes. Because <laughs> she, she kept running out. She kept running upstairs. Running, <laughs> running into the barn, running upstairs in the barn. Like in all these places in horror movies where you shouldn't run. And here she is presented with a canoe at the bank of this gorgeous lake and why not get in because then you're out in the middle but then you know she freaks out and thinks he's gonna get her anyway so why what matters anymore yeah. <laughs> nothing matters yeah. anymore. well it's but you know what's interesting about it though mm. is that it's almost like a dream within a dream or a hallucination within a dream because yeah. she's there on the canoe mm. she hallucinates jason oh he's not there 
I can rest. And then Mrs. Voorhees comes up for some weird reason, because she's got no reason to be in the lake, no reason to have her head on her shoulders. Yeah. Chris yeah. has got no reason yeah. to know that she even exists. Mm-hmm. But all that aside, mm. she comes up and pulls her under or whatever, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then we see that Chris is actually okay. That never happened. Yeah. So, like, it's an interesting choice of a fake out. Mm. But I'm not a fan of it. It doesn't offend me. Yeah. Like how other endings in this franchise will. Oh. Or at least offend certain <laughs> fans. Right. Because we've got more contentious stuff to deal with down the track, Kindle. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. But for me, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's an okay scare. Like, I like the fact that you think Jason has actually, you know, recovered and is coming after her and still tormenting her. And they're like, oh, no, she's just hallucinating. But it's just that Mrs. Voorhees jumping in doesn't make sense for me, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, like you've said, she's got no knowledge. No. As far as we know. Mm-hmm. Because, again, part two happened just the day before. Only Ginny is really talking about Jason. I mean, yes... Um, we could argue that because Chris has stayed in Crystal Lake, you know, that's sort of like her mm-hmm. second home, mm-hmm. she may have heard of these stories. Yeah, but we would heard be... about what happened to Alice and everything. But we would have been more okay with it yeah. if she calls him by his name at yeah. least once. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's all we needed. Yeah. Because then yeah. you believe everything. everything. You even believe Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah. And again, head on shoulders, fine. It's a hallucination. She can look like however she looks like. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. But that's just that, that's the, the little nagging detail a, for me. That's a very good point. So this is the ending they went with. Mm. It was not the only ending. Oh, really? Yes. Of course, <laughs> of course not. Because it wouldn't be a Friday the 13th movie without an alternate ending. Yes. <laughs> well, one that I had only recently heard about was that in one of the alternate endings, mm. Ali lives. Oh, good. So he actually comes back mm-hmm. and he and Chris actually escape oh great now that's a really interesting choice very interesting choice because they don't know each other no you know and they're sort of i guess brought together by this traumatic experience and Mm. stuff she's lost her friends he's lost his and when you're in a situation like that everybody's your friend doesn't matter what history you have or what you're thinking of right yeah so i I found that interesting and i would have been cool to see where that would have gone like yes ali survives they make it out Mm. but then is he helping her because she maybe still is hallucinating because she starts while she's fighting Jason. So she still would have probably gone on. Like, is mm. he her savior? Is he the rescuer there who, who shelters her perhaps? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would have been interesting to see how that one, how that one went. Mm. Another ending, and this is the alternative ending that is more popularly known and was actually filmed is that Chris is in the canoe. And she hears a noise in the house and she thinks it's Rick. She goes to the house and Jason appears in the door, mm. grabs her by the hair and beheads her. <laughs> yeah. So that I think was the dream sequence. So she okay. would have still lived. Yeah. 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 So I've, I've read two things. That's like, that's just how it is mm-hmm. that he kills her off. Mm. Others I've read, you know, it was a dream sequence and, okay. and that's how it's done. Right. That ending mm. appears in one of the two novelizations of this film. Oh really? Yeah. They're out of print now, unfortunately, oh, but it would shame. be fun. Yeah. And even that scene only stills survive of that ending so, the oh, so ending, they filmed it they did actually film yeah. the one with chris losing her head yes wow. um but yeah but there's only some stills okay. that, that remain of that right but yeah i don't know how i, I don't know i think if chris getting beheaded mm. was a dream mm. and that she sort of woke up and still 
sort of had lost her mind, like how she does. Mm-hmm. I think I would have preferred that one out of all of them. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. so too. Because then it would also make sense for Jason to choose that type of death for her yeah. because she's a final girl. Yeah. A final girl had done that to his mother. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think it would have tied it better yeah. for me. Yeah, that's um, fair. But, me you know, it's it's an ending. And, again, <laughs> it's hit and miss, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But I do have to say, even though the performance was questionable, Dana Camille, um, at the end, there is something about her being driven away in hysterics. Uh, and then we see Jason just there and you're mm. expecting him to maybe twitch or something, but no, he's absolutely flat, jump back to the lake. And mm. it's just tying them all together quite nicely. Um, ultimately, again, no one really survives, I guess, is the message of, of this. Yeah. 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 So mm. how did the movie go? <laughs> <laughs> Now, needless to say, we've got lots of sequels, right? Yeah. Okay, here come some stats. Oh, give it to Lots of stats. The budget was $2.2 million, wow. and it took $36.7 million in the US alone. Wow. Um, so if you add the international, it did really well. Yeah, for the early 80s, it's pretty good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It broke the opening horror film record that was held by the first Friday the 13th film. Huh placed number 21 on the list of the top grossing films of 1982. Wow. As of this recording, it stands as the fourth highest grossing film in the Friday the 13th series Mm -hmm. and the third best selling in ticket sales. And that's behind the original film and Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, cool. It also stands as the 10th highest grossing R-rated film of 1982, the second highest grossing horror film of 1982, Hmm the sixth largest box office opening of that year. And if we adjust its sales for inflation, it is the ninth highest grossing slasher film of all time. Wow. Yeah. It's not too shabby. It also was the movie that dethroned E.T., the extraterrestrial, from the number one position. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yep. When it's released. Try finding home now. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Jason slays. (laughs) Lord. And Kendall, at this point of time, as we know, these movies don't really get many thumbs up (laughs) from critics. No, no. Look, it's sitting at a 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb. It has a 7% Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that's brutal. 30% 30% on Metacritic, uh-huh. but 92% of Google users gave it the thumbs up and okay. liked this movie. Nice. <laughs> Critics versus audience. Hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least the fans had a good time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it is a fun movie after all. Yeah, for sure. But look, I'm going to toss all those aside because the any opinion that matters, Kendall, your final thoughts and a score out of five. <laughs> well, yes. No, I I thoroughly enjoyed watching this movie again. Was not as uh, as bad or awful as I was expecting, but it does help when you set your expectations a little low. Definitely not perfect. I definitely had a lot of problems with it. Again, mostly with the writing. Disappointed to hear that they chose to not balance everything equally mm-hmm. in terms of what they were trying to achieve. They're really just going for the 3D effect. And I get it. You know, you want to, you want bums and seats. You want to make money. I mean, it clearly paid off. They they made a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did have to sacrifice some, some poor acting classes <laughs> for one chili. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
feel bad for her. Uh, <laughs> we had to sit through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, feel bad for us. But yeah, so, but all in all, like, you know, it, it, it achieves what it sets out to do quite successfully. The kills are inventive. Mm. They're a lot of fun. Jason is as intimidating and, and creepy as ever. The introduction of the iconic hockey mask is memorable, superbly executed, and the cast, uh, mostly overall, uh, are quite engaging and enjoyable to watch. So, yeah, no, I I would not say that I wouldn't watch this again. Mm-hmm. I, I, I reckon if it was first channel surfing one night and it was on, I'd definitely stick mm-hmm. around and watch it because, yeah, I, I got a lot out of it. I feel like there if they were to remake it, mm-hmm. you could definitely improve this film. Mm-hmm. I think there's a good template there yeah. to definitely improve upon what they've got. There's a lot of potential, mm-hmm. I think. But as it is, I'm going to give Friday the 13th part three, two and a half out of five. Well, for me, this isn't one of my top three <laughs> Jason movies, mm-hmm. but I do enjoy it. There's quite a bit of fun to, to, to be had here. I think overall the cast is actually quite likable. For me, I think some of the pacing mm. is a bit of an issue for yeah, me. Um, yeah. It's a bit of a slow burn. Not a bad thing at all. There's moments of tension that are effective, mm. but I think some characters are developed better than others. And yeah, I think the inclusion of the bikey gang, it's look, it's an interesting choice. I don't know if it adds that much to it. Like that time that we spend on them, we could have again developed more. Mm. I think one of the highlights for me is the dynamic between Vera and Shelly. Like Shelly is us, (laughs) the nerds who watch these movies and enjoy them and, you know, are are socially inept sometimes. Yes. Uh, So he's quite relatable and and they do try to put some depth there, you know, that he has a low self-esteem and, and it looks like that Vera has some issues with her mother. I love that off-screen fight they have yeah. in Spanish. <laughs> like, it's played for comedy, and I, I think it's quite funny because yeah. Vera just comes out really all smiling, let's go, <laughs> type thing. Like, she's done this before. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. just typical overprotective mother, yeah. right? But I don't know. Like, the dynamics of these kids are, are, are really good. I would have liked to have seen more yeah, of it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, same. And so, yeah, for me, the, uh, the ending with Mrs. Voorhees doesn't work for me. It's a minor flaw in otherwise a pretty taut ending, I think. I think at least we see Chris versus Jason like long enough. Like you want the final girl Mm. and the villain or anti-hero to really duke it out. I like that she's not perfect. I do like that, you know, she's a little unsure of herself in this realm she's not just somebody who's like oh yep i can face my fear and then Mm. destroys him yeah so i I, like there's complexities there but i feel like that overall they're not fleshed out that well no in saying that do we go to a friday the 13th movie to see (laughs) (laughs) fleshed out characters and things no but it would be nice it would be nice yes (laughs) ain't gonna happen they're here to make money and that's what they did as, as as you said but look at the end of the day, especially when I watch an 80s slasher flick, it's like, did I have fun? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Like, overall, I did have fun. Mm-hmm. Not as much as I did with the first two movies. Okay. Like, I prefer part one and two mm-hmm. to this one. That's Again, fair. I think it's just a little too much of a slow burn. Mm-hmm. Some people like that. Some critics actually appreciated that. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, yeah, it could have just been a little bit punchier. Okay. And 
look, those kills are fantastic. I think the effects for the time were wonderful. Great, yeah. That opening theme, hello. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, the movie is, is fun to watch overall. I enjoyed it and I will absolutely watch it again. <laughs> Kendall, hopefully the next time we see it, it'll be playing on a big screen in 3D. Hell yeah, I'm down. It, it's a date. Yep. <laughs> so um, let's, do it. let's do it, people. <laughs> Put it on there. But yeah, look, not the strongest entry so far. So for me, it's three and a half out of five. Okay, nice. <laughs> Well, Kendall, thank you for joining me for another Fearsome Friday. Thank you for having me. You are more than welcome. I love nothing more than talking Friday the 13th with you. Likewise. There's another movie in the franchise. Oh, oh, oh just, just one Just one. one. <laughs> <laughs> We're taking them one at a time. I'm interested to see what you're going to think of the next film. Yeah. Because in terms of the fan base, mm-hmm. in the next movie, Jason meets... His most famous final boy. Oh, hello. Yeah. (laughs) But until then, I've been a Wayne Stellini. I've been a Kendall Richardson. And you've just experienced Fred Fred Watch. real hello hi hey there <laughs> that's so bad do you want to join me <laughs> yes yes i don't remember how
we do this? Right? Yeah. How did we do it last No, the time? last Jason one, you actually joined me. Oh, I did? Yeah. Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure if I should because introductions. All right, sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> I could have just been like, and don't do one hello. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. All right, let's do it. During this time, she tells her boyfriend, Rick, Paul Kratka, about an encounter she had there two... Don't like that. Do that again. <clears throat> about an encounter she had there two years earlier with a deformed man, and that she has returned to Crystal Lake to face her fears and resolve her... <laughs> but Kendall, were you scared by the new... Di- no, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so close. Oh, so close. <laughs> Dana Camille had objections to that, so they did leave it ambiguous. Mm-hmm. That ambiguity... <laughs> and then sometimes you don't know if it's Jason or if it's a biker, like when... Debbie. I was going to say Tracy, but that's her real name. <laughs> In terms of the kills, I quite enjoyed... Uh, let me remind myself of the name. Yes, okay. As it is, I'm going to give Friday the 13th part three. I hate scoring. <laughs> I'm so indecisive at scoring. I'm going to give it a two and a half out of five. And you've just experienced Fred, Fred Watch. Watch. Cue music. <laughs> <laughs> you have to play the score in this part. Yeah, Cue yeah. Absolutely. Well. <laughs> <laughs>